The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello and welcome. This is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean I'm from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training. And I have here today uh, Mr. James McCambridge. He is coming to us from um, the United Kingdom. And he is from see, Rewired Neural Performance Therapy. All right. And just going to get into it with him and uh, hopefully learn some really cool stuff here. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you jumping on. Um, I'm always kind of excited whenever I have, you know, people from outside the United States, you know, just because of the time differences. I know it means a lot that we coordinate our schedules here so that we're both talking at what is somewhat of a civilized time for us both, you know? (laughs) Yeah, this is cool for me. I'm kind of my last thing before my weekend. So uh, (laughs) that kind of works quite nicely. Good deal. Good deal. All right, man. Well, I always start people from the very beginning because, you know, usually I know something about the people I'm interviewing, but uh, with you and the last person I spoke to, I don't know too much about you just going other than what I've seen on your Facebook. Um, So I like to kind of get into the weeds of things here. So just take us back to the very beginning here. You know, what brought us to this point that we're now talking? Yeah. So basically, uh, I'll say a little bit about what, what that point is. So I am a, I describe myself as a neuro fitness coach and that's somebody who is basically like a personal trainer, but everything is from the point of view of the nervous system rather than, uh, from either like the physical body or from a nutrition standpoint. I just want to know everything about how the brain works and how that is going to influence your movement. So a lot of the time we have the same end goals, but uh, the method is maybe sometimes a little different or it's the same method and I'm just thinking about it in a slightly different way to how another trainer might. Um, The story behind how I got into that, I've kind of spent my whole life doing as many weird and different things as I possibly can. So like my introduction into the whole movement world was through gymnastics. And I was a gymnast when I was a young kid, uh, wasn't particularly good at it. So then got into gymnastics coaching was, um, coaching, uh, sort of the elite kind of kid squad. So the ones that would go to high level competitions, but they'd be between, you know, four years old and maybe 13, 14 years old. And in that environment and the kind of culture around gymnastics was always, there is a very definite answer to every single thing. You know, you want to learn, you want to teach someone to somersault better. Well, there's a technique for that and you should be like, it's possible to know all the answers because we've got a code of points that says the end result that you should get. Uh, and if there's, as long as you're aiming towards that end result, then we're going to, we're just going to apply the formula and uh, that's probably going to get us there. And to be honest, if any gymnast wasn't really, uh, 
getting there via that formula, well, then you just say goodbye to the gymnast. Gymnastics isn't for them. They're not uh, cut out for the sport. And, you know, you just stick with the better ones. Um, and I think that was pretty much how I modeled my life for about seven years while I was coaching and didn't really think anything of it until it became my job to decide, you know, which five-year-old is the one who's destined to become a gymnast. And it started to become really obvious to me. Like, I don't have a clue. Like I'm just looking at a five-year-old going, yeah, I think you in 18 years time, you could be a world champion. It's like, it doesn't seem right. And everyone around me was telling, no, 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 you should be able to, you know, you look for these markers and this will definitely define success. And yeah, for me, it just wasn't so clear cut. And that started me thinking, all right, I wonder maybe actually we don't have all the answers. Maybe all these answers that I've spent seven years learning is just the right fit for gymnastics. And there actually might be a better fit for, for other things. And, and if I start looking in other places, I might find, better questions or better answers to, to what I'm looking at and what I'm trying to learn. So that led me to a career in the circus, uh, where I became a circus acrobat. And that was pretty much exactly what I was looking for was when you go from gymnastics, which has a code of points that says everything must be done like this to circus that says, we don't care what it looks like as long as it's cool, then all of your answers, all of your techniques for for doing things the right way just go out the window. And suddenly, uh, if you want to make something look cool, actually, you don't have the right answer. You've got to you've got to try new things out. And then you spend your whole time trying to figure out in real time, is this bad for me or am I on the right track? And uh, I'd spent another probably about another seven years, actually, um, trying to work in that kind of circus acrobatics world. And then the neuro side of things, so the interest in the nervous system came from the fact that I had had, for my whole life, I had the bone, my cheekbone on the left side of my face just wouldn't stop growing. It kept growing long after the rest of my body did. And so I had to have some pretty major surgery to uh, remove a lot of the bone. And that left me with quite a lot of nerve damage in several different nerves on the left side of my face. And all the surgeons were really adamant that, you know, we've done the surgery, you're fine. And, you know, I had, I had sensation issues. I was having postural issues as, as a result of this. I was having lots more pain and stuff, uh, you know, weight gain, which happened suddenly after that, uh, was just seemed unusual given that I was still like quite high intensity training and stuff like that. And so the surgeons were saying, look, nothing more you can do. We did a pretty good job. Uh, you know, the nerve damage is just how it is. That's you just live with that now. And, uh, all the other things that come along with having that major surgery. Well, that's just how life goes sometimes, you know, you're going to get older anyway. And sure, everybody when they're older is, is not so great. So I was kind of always interested in psychology and stuff like that. And when neuroscience became a little bit more accessible, then that suddenly was like, oh, this is the direction I need to go. I need to learn everything about the brain and see, you know, is it possible to retrain the feeling? Is it possible to all these things? The surgeons have told me, no, nah, there's no way you can ever fix this stuff maybe there is you know 
Right, right. Okay, so you started out a career where a, a very regimented system of gymnastics where you had everything deliberately mapped out. And like you said, you either went point by point, you either fit into that or you didn't. And then if you didn't, goodbye. And so you spent another seven years just kind of retraining your, your own brain to see beyond that and to kind of just embrace some chaos and some potentialities that you maybe didn't think about before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think part of the, the thing, I had a head coach who was, I had a number of different head coaches. And, you know, when, when the first one, he would be like, all right, so this is how you be a gymnastics coach. And, uh, you know, these are all the right answers. And then he would go and a new guy would come in. And uh, some occasionally the new one would come in and go, oh, everything that guy told you is really dangerous. You should never listen to like none of those techniques. Don't don't do these. These are the ones you need to do. And I was like, ah, OK, I thought that was the answer. OK, uh, maybe not then. And then he would go and the next guy would come in. And again, it would be, oh, no, 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 no. That's absolutely not. You can never be a good gymnast if you train like that guy trained people. And I'm looking around going, well, all these guys are pretty good, right? They're, they're all, they're all getting good. But he's like, no, no, it's like either my techniques or they will, they will fail or they'll get injured. And that was always a really good cop out was to just say, yeah, these guys are going to get injured. And most gymnasts are going to get injured. So as soon as you see it happen, you're like, yeah, told you. See, that's, that's, uh, pretty good evidence there. Uh, and that just kind of got me starting to think like, oh, maybe there's not one correct way to do things. And also, if I wanted to be a really good gymnast, like I already had the experience of not being so great myself. And I started to go, ah, I wonder, was that because I wasn't so great? Or was it because I didn't fit the system of that particular coach? And if I had a different coach, maybe I would have got better because uh, they would have had a different system and I would have adapted to that one better than I did to, uh, you know, the, the coach that I did have. Right. So in taking, embracing that new line of thinking, how did you apply that one to yourself and also to the people that you're working with? Well, for myself, I, I did, a, I started doing a lot of reading. So, uh, all of that was kind of going on around the early 2000s. And that was when people like Malcolm Gladwell were writing books all about, you know, uh, outliers, I think it was, where he talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And, you know, actually, talent isn't genetic. Like we were kind of treating it as in um, gymnastics. And they're like, oh, actually, you know, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice and you're going to become amazing. So, I just started taking that notion and going, okay, this guy says 10,000 hours, like never even looked into who Malcolm Gladwell was, like turned out he was a journalist, not a neuroscientist, but in my mind, it didn't matter. It was like, okay, I've got a number. I'm going to do 10,000 hours of something. And then I started thinking, oh, I wondered what about 10,000 reps? Would 10,000 reps make me equally good? So, uh, you know, I, I had a tally sheet on my bedroom wall for handstands and I was just like, I'm just going to kick up into 10,000 handstands and uh, see, uh, will I just be a really good hand balancer by the time I finish that 10,000? And I think part for me was just, I love experimenting. I love, if somebody tells me something's impossible, I love to just try and prove them wrong, even if I agree with them at the time. So, you know, uh, can I do 2,000 push-ups in a day? Well, that guy says I can. 
I don't think I can either, but because he just told me I can't, I'm going to go. I'm going to try it and see how far I can get and probably ruin myself in the process, but it doesn't matter. Um, I'll just, you know, see, see what happens. And so for myself, I, I just kind of treat myself as I, I like to be a coach. I like to be a teacher. And part of that is the joy of I don't have this goal of like, I need to hit the Olympics. I need to hit these performance targets. I'm just like this canvas for like, Oh, I wonder what happens if you do this. Like if you, if, if you exercise in this way, if you train in this way, uh, next month I'll try, uh, you know, changing my diet and doing the same training and see what that does. Um, and I'll, you know, it'll be informed. I'll be learning things, but I also like to try and live on in the same way as an athlete takes all the research, but then still tries all the weird things to get an edge. Uh, I like to go, all right, this is what all the research says, but I wonder what happens if I, I do just slightly the wrong thing in this way or this way or this way. Uh, because when it goes wrong on me, it doesn't matter. It's nobody's, nobody's paying me. Nobody's, uh, disappointed when they don't break their world record or just hit their, hit their target. Um, so yeah, for me, that's kind of the way I approach it. And then for my clients, it's a little more tricky because everybody's very used to coming into a, into a gym, coming into a training facility and being told, all right, you want to get fit in this way? All right, this is how you have to do it. And when they come into me, I'm always a little bit more like, ah, yeah, might be like this. Yeah, let's, tr let's try this and see how it gets. No, it's not working. Let's try this. And I'll always like, we'll just keep trying new things until something seems to be clicking and that something could be, I see the results straight away or they see the results straight away. Or if they just really enjoy it, then I go, all right, well, maybe this isn't where I want you to be, but I know that you're probably going to keep on doing it. So that's better than if you, if you weren't, uh, you know, if I find you the perfect system, but you don't do it every day, then maybe that's not so good either. So yeah, it's, I guess it's just a lot of trial and error on my part on me and with the clients. Uh, and I do it slightly differently with the clients because obviously nobody wants someone who just looks like they're winging it 24 seven. Like they, they want to know that actually you, you are listening to them and you do have their end goal in mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do you find it um, kind of a tight line to walk? I mean, between, you know, like you said, being experimental, being open to doing things at different modalities and uh, different reps and different anything. And then people who come into you looking for very specific results, because I've kind of had that issue myself before with other clients. Like I had one client, um, she signed on with me and I had this whole like program like mapped out, you know, she was, um, she was a runner. Um, so she wanted to increase her speed so she could do the you know, Boston marathon and stuff like that, or get a better time in the Boston marathon or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to help with, um, strengthening your legs, strengthening your core, giving you more explosive power so you can do things like run and also jump and stuff like that with better efficiency and better power. And you'll be stronger for it in the end. So you won't be so injury prone. And from the first I like like the first two sentences out of my mind, out of my mouth when I explained to her what I was going to have her start doing. Her literal response to me that might bore me. <laughs> That's literally what she said to me. That might bore me. I was like, okay, you know, I was 
I tried to be polite and we didn't last very long. I'm just going to say that now, but we went through a couple workouts and I tried, tried to be polite, but in my mind, I'm going, okay, what did you want to get better performance results or did you want me to be a circus clown and entertain you? I don't know. I'm sorry that you're bored, but you came to me with a very specific goal in mind here. Do you want to reach it or don't you? Do you find that kind of frustrating? Yeah, it's frustrating and it's really hard to know, uh, you know, which, which is the right approach as well, because the other side of that, if they go, oh, yeah, no, I would get bored by that. The other approaches go, oh, well, if you're going to get bored, let's not do it. And let's let's try this instead. But what if actually you just, like a lot of people are reluctant to do the thing that they need to do, and that's why they still need to do it. The, if that makes sense, like the, the, the bit that you're completely weak in, whether it's, you know, your shoulders aren't strong enough, your, uh, your lung capacity just is, isn't right. That's the one oh, I tried breath training and I hated it. So I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and it's like, Oh yeah, but so now you've kind of maxed out every other system and now it's just your like VO2 max or just, just your, any, your breathing is just the one thing. If you just improve that, everything else would get better and you're just resisting it. So sometimes is how do you figure out you just need pushed into this and I, you know, we need to figure it out and it's like, Oh, that might bore you. Cool. Okay. It's going to bore you. Sorry. We, we've got to, we've got to get going with this or sometimes it is, ah, well actually, okay, that's going to bore you. There's a different way we can do it and you'll probably hit the same, same result. Um, I find that very difficult and, I guess frustrating is the other side of it when I think one of the things that I always forget as a trainer is I spend all day, every day thinking about this kind of stuff where, so when somebody comes to me in my mind, I like to think, Oh, they came to me specifically to know what I think, but actually they have a goal in mind and they're like, okay, I need to do, uh, you know, I've got to do 30 minutes of running every day. I'm going to go find someone who's going to, program that for me. And so they already had an idea of what they thought they were going to get before they arrived at me. And if I go, Oh yeah, no, 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 that's not what you want at all. Uh, I've got this great idea and great plan for us. And if I just didn't listen to what they wanted, or if I for just forgot to ask what they wanted or what they thought they were going to get, um, sometimes I find I can resolve it a bit there, but if I don't do that, then they go, ah, yeah, this guy's no good. He didn't do what I thought because I know what a good trainer is supposed to do. And it wasn't what he said. And I'm going, ah, what a shitty client because, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't like my ideas and yeah, it becomes a bit, uh, problematic on both ends. Right. So in, when you're working with uh, clients and rewire, so what specifically do people come to you for then? Is it like for things like traumatic brain injuries and it's like very rehabilitative? Is it just, or is it kind of like a mixture of people are there to rebuild their bodies because something happened or they're just very old and they need to get strength uh, or, and people come in just for like strictly recreational reasons. Like, you know, they, maybe they're bored with the traditional workouts, um, um, playlists, you know, they're, they, they don't buy into the dogma that a lot of people do that you have to do things in a certain way. Maybe they're looking to find something a bit more 
um, experimental, explorative, and um, maybe a bit more fun too. Is it is it one or the other? Or is there like a mixture? Well, the the second one is where I'd like it to go. So when I since looking into all this stuff with the brain, we've got really surprised by like how much we go. Ah, oh, we really think a lot more people need to be doing this stuff than than actually are. And it's sometimes it's just because things like vision we just kind of neglect. And for a lot of people, uh, due to, you know, eye strain and we fix our eyes in, in just specific positions all the time, uh, actually there's so much to be gained by just training your eyes to move in different directions and training yourself to, you know, open up your peripheral vision or be able to process information quickly when you see it that, I would really love people to come to us for like the recreational side of it of just like, Oh yeah, I know I need to do something. I know I need to be fit somehow. Uh, let's, let's go to rewire and you know, they'll just give us a program and we'll, we'll work through it and we'll feel great the same way as if we went to the gym or if we did whatever other pastime we could have done. Um, that hasn't taken off yet. Most of the time it is the first one that people are coming to us for it's usually going to be it'll be in between either uh we kind of say we're the people you go to if you go through all the traditional routes and nothing works we're usually the ones who are sitting on the fringe and kind of looking like so uh, I've got my shoulder injury. I've been to my physio. My physio says I just have rota uh, weak rotator cuffs. So they gave me all the banded exercises that I need to do. And I did them and it didn't change. So then I went to the Cairo and the osteo and, uh, you know, the Feldenkrais practitioner and, and all of these people did their standard approach and none of that worked. Uh, we're usually where they end up. So uh, we we like to pretend we're like the, the GP, like the general practitioner of, of all of that stuff where we're not necessarily experts in all of those fields, but we absorb a little bit of all of the information. So you go, Oh, you've tried physio, you've tried Cairo, all of it was manual. Okay. So actually, is it possible that uh, this could be an issue further up your brain? So uh, maybe you're not actually weak. Maybe your muscles are just poorly coordinated. Uh, so that means doing all the strength exercises, if they're just very simple, the muscles are working perfectly fine. So they're not actually seeing any results from this. Whereas if we turn that into like a figure of eight or some kind of complex movement, now the muscles have to work out how to coordinate each other really, really finely. And so that might fix the problem. Or maybe we need to do, you've had lots of deep tissue work. So actually uh, we do some light, light stimulation and that will get the lymphatic system going in, in that part of the body, sort of flush out all the toxins and chemicals, like anything that's up there. Uh, that might be what reduces the pain or maybe it's something completely weird like i don't know your eyes on one side you just never look in that one direction and there's actually a lot of reflexes in your eyes that help with shoulder uh, flexion so in rare occasions we find ah, oh, we just get you to do certain eye movements and suddenly oh wow pain goes away uh so that's a big bulk of of what we do is like when other when you've tried kind of all the standard approaches 
we're usually the ones you go to and it's like, ah, actually, we think you've missed this, this, and this. Those might be the final three components. And then we get a couple other people who are aiming for more high-performance goals. So we've had, uh, obviously, myself and my business partner, we both have backgrounds in gymnastics and circus. So we get a lot of gymnasts, circus performers. We've had football players, uh, Olympic archers. We've had... um, a few other like kind of pole dancing and stuff like that. People who have either got injuries in high performance sports where, uh, when you go to your standard physio or whatever, they just go, ah, yeah, you're still functioning well above what I normally treat. So I don't really know what to do with you or, uh, you know, they've got a target uh, or a goal and it's like, all right, well, I want to win my next competition and my normal, uh, football training isn't getting me there. So what else can you prescribe to me? What, what can you look at what I'm doing and say, ah, actually it feels like, uh, your balance or your coordination or, uh, vision, breathing, something like that is, is lacking. And if I just improve that by a little bit, I'll start seeing the gains. Do you think there's this, you think, uh, stories like this, like the ones you were just telling me, you think they're pretty common, um, to people, I mean, people having, or more and more common, people coming to you having been through all the, all the medical field has to offer traditional lines of medicine, like, like you were saying with your own story, like you, you had surgery on your face and you were having sensory issues and um, mobility issues on your left side of your face. You're going to the surgeon. The surgeon's like, well, nothing I can really do about it. I've done what I can do. And they just kind of dismiss you like that. Um, do you think there is like there's a growing gap between what people need and what ter- conventional medicine can really provide? Quite possibly. I always will try to make sure I don't talk down conventional medicine too much because I do think it's great and I think it's really necessary as well uh, that we have some kind of system that and especially that is kind of evidence-based as well where you go we did all the research and this seems statistically this is the best approach for this diagnosis in this case uh i think there's a really that's a really really good and useful thing to have but one of the things people forget is when something is researched so in medicine the easiest thing to research are drugs so uh number one if that's the only thing they're going to deal with, there's going to be a ton of side effects associated with that. So if you don't want to deal with the side effects, then either you need an approach that doesn't just prescribe drugs to you or drugs that might react negatively to you. Um, or you're going to need that practitioner to, you know, have other things available with all those other things that are available when they are researched, they're researched through a, absolutely huge number of people so you know uh they take thousands and thousands of people do the study and if the study works the study shows that this treatment works for most of those people then they go this is a positive study this is now the treatment but if you're in that 40 percent category of people for you know whatever presentation you have that doesn't react positively to that then you go to your physio and he says all right well based on the the numbers based on the research and the statistics this is the right approach which is technically true but you just might be one of those outliers and actually you either get nothing maybe even in some cases you get worse and uh the the bigger 
the wider the field of medicine grows, the more different cases we're going to know about, the more different people we're trying to connect together. And as everything becomes a lot more multicultural, that variation is going to become a lot bigger. So I, yeah, I think there will be a lot more people on the fringe where it's like, Oh, I did this. This is what is supposed to work, which is true, but it didn't work for me. And then I need, I need to know what to do next. And I think that's, where it's really helpful to have people who go, okay, cool. We're going to look at the research. We're going to look at what that says. And then we're going to decide if that is appropriate for you. We're going to, we're going to say, Oh, maybe you need to, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try this. Um, the fact that we're not physios, we're not uh, doctors means we can try different things. We can't diagnose people with anything, but we can try different approaches. And if something seems to be working, then that's what we go with. So maybe it's not so much the fact that conventional medicine isn't war, isn't worthwhile, isn't working. I don't, I, I mean, I have nothing against conventional medicine. I think modern medicine is fantastic. Um, but it still, it seems to me, cause you know, out of a lot of the people I've spoken to, you know, yourself included, a lot of them have come with similar stories of like saying they they have went traditional routes and it gave them no relief. Now, maybe they are the outliers and if they weren't, it would. So maybe that's just the problem there. Maybe it's just very personalized. Maybe it's not as systemic as it seems, but more and more that seems to be the case here. Now, maybe it's that maybe it's not the doctors or the physicians, the doctors, the specialists, maybe themselves, maybe it's just the fact that the system needs a, a dramatic overhaul, or maybe some of these influencers, like say pharmaceuticals need to be either not outright removed, but need to have their influence minimized. Would you say that's probably fair? Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's my kind of the, that previous statement was my utopian version of it where it's like, Oh, actually this is good. And everybody's doing exactly the right thing that they want to do. And then you go, all right, let's put this in reality. And it's like, all right, well, who's going to pay for it? And actually, you know, so in America, you guys all have the, the pharmaceutical thing where, you know, they can put pump way more money into things and, uh, you know, people only get paid from them. So obviously they have to eat, they can have contracts to tell you, this is what you have to prescribe and stuff in the UK. We have it kind of the other way around where our healthcare is free, but then that means somebody still has to pay for it. If it's free, somebody still has to be, uh, pumping money into it. And if that's your government and your government also wants to keep your taxes down because they want to get reelected, then you get less and less money actually going to that system. So then it becomes really hard to do that massive overhaul that, uh, like you said, like I'm sure the national health service in, in the UK could probably be doing all the stuff that I'm doing because I managed to get the information. So, so obviously so can they, and they could probably do a much better job at it if, uh, if they had the money, cause they're just a, a bigger and better, uh, system to be doing that stuff. But the reality is they don't have the money. I mean, during the COVID pandemic, I went in about another thing and, you know, obviously anything with the left side of my face now, uh, with what I know about the brain, I'll always make sure if, if there's a bunch of things going on. So it's kind of like I've gone deaf in my left ear and, uh, my left side of my face is always a little bit kind of paralyzed anyway through the nerve damage that I had. And, uh, then there was a bunch of things, you know, I was crashing into walls. And so I went into A and E 
And I told them all this stuff, and the uh, doctor looked down at her form and went, oh, okay, yep, it says here you're over 30. I said, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, well, then you got nothing to worry about. And I said, really? It's like, yeah, 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 when you're over 30, yeah, you're just going to plummet like you're the average person is way worse than all of those things you just described so uh you know unless you're actually dying we don't really care <laughs> like uh, wow uh, that's a that is uh that's 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 pretty horrible actually um and i don't know i mean yeah i'm on this kind of personalized crusade myself here because I like to work with older people, people who are like 40, 50 and above and things like that, because I feel like there is a, a need there for um, greater strength and you know coordination and balance and things like that too. And especially since the population is aging, the, the boomers now are in their seventies and mm. you know, there's a, there's a great uh, pool of people that need the service, like what you're offering, you know, where you have kind of untraditional methods here and you can offer different things here where, you know, like you said, during the physical therapy sessions here, you do the rotator cuff workouts and it's like, well, that didn't really take care of the problem here. Well, I'll change it up a little bit and maybe add some, you know, work in different planes here, not just going backwards and forwards, maybe going around and things like that and having the body respond to it. It's going to respond to it pretty acutely, maybe even slightly painfully at first, but if it's bearable, keep doing it. And maybe in the end, you'll be better for it. So you're kind of just trying, and we're knowing now that the brain is very, um, that there's a lot of plasticity for the brain, even in mm. elderly years, even in elderly years, you know, it's, uh, it takes a long, a lot longer than a small child, obviously, but it's still possible. They're seeing like, even people who have Alzheimer's and things like that, they are seeing improvements if you do certain things, you know, and that help with, um, Parkinson's and uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and that sort of thing. Uh, we, so we know the brain can continue to grow and evolve even well into, you know, our elderly years if it's done consistently and in the right way. Um, so when I hear stories like this of where you just say, uh, oh, you're over 30 and you just kind of get thrown, shown the door, like it's just expected that you're supposed to just go downhill <laughs> after a certain point here. It just makes me cringe because I'm almost 40 for God's sakes. And I'm like, no, 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 give me a break. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm out there trying to say, no, this is not true. This is not the case. And don't believe it. And, you know, the game changes, but you can still win, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess, with the older populations as well, when you say, like, all this research is being done, it's always worth going, oh, well, actually, have we even checked what age those people were in the research? So, uh, obviously, research is always evolving, always changing, and, and we know we learn new things all the time. But the trend tends to be, you know, once you get to kind of the later stages of life, all the research is how do we make this person not die? Not how do we improve their life, just how do we stop them from actually dropping dead uh, right now? And then for the younger ones, it's like, let's find out all the cool new stuff and see if we can we can improve things and make it better. So actually, there's an even bigger need. The older you get, there's you know, you're, you're possibly going to be relying on the uh, medical services a lot more, but 
there's also an even greater need to think, actually, I probably need to look elsewhere because uh, the interests of these people aren't the same as what they used to be. They used to be, let's make this person better and more productive and, and able to do more things. Um, but actually, we might have learned a bunch of stuff about uh, younger people and we haven't bothered implementing it with, with the older generations. I think a really big example of that now is neurodiversity, where you know people with uh, autism or ADHD or anything like that, if you're a kid, um, you get diagnosed super early and your whole education pathway is really different so that you can uh, thrive a bit more, whereas nobody's even looking for that in adults. You know, it takes, it's in the UK anyway, it's really hard to get diagnosed as, uh, you know, autistic or anything like that uh, when you're an adult because they say, oh, well, you made it this far, so... Let's just see how see how much further you can go. It's not worth our money to to check in. But actually, if you were to know that about yourself, you could know. Oh, there's a lot of other things that I can I can do, or this is maybe why I need to do things differently uh, to just have a better quality of life. So, if I was a say a client that came to you, you know, I just I researched you out. Um, let's say. I'm just throwing out there. I'm 60 years old. I researched you out. I need greater strength. My vision is not great. You know, I don't have a lot of coordination. I can't drive at night very well. Um, and just kind of, you know, I haven't worked out for many years or really ever at all. And if I just went, if I just went to you, maybe I already went through the uh, conventional protocols and I just not, am now uh, coming to you, what would be the process? Like, from from beginning from first meeting me to taking me through things i mean what would you take me through yeah so we take people in um we like to when people do the sort of face-to-face -face working with us whether that's online or in person um we like to be as thorough as we possibly can be about that person's history so finding out you know everything that's ever happened to them in their entire life is usually uh, of interest to us because when we're talking about the brain and the nervous system, like you said, with neuroplasticity, your brain is constantly rewiring and changing. Um, somebody's behavior, if, if I just take you for an assessment and I look at how you're moving now, that tells me a lot, but there's multiple ways you can get to the, to the same outcome. So, if I notice that actually your shoulder isn't moving very well, I'll stick to shoulders because I can have a look at my own, <laughs> get good feedback on it. Um, but yeah, I see your shoulder's not moving really well. Well, I know probably we're going to need to do some shoulder work, but I do also want to know, is there any reason why the shoulder's not moving very well? So again, if uh, so I'm pointing to my right shoulder at the moment, uh, it could be that, you know, I've, I was hanging on a bar and dislocated it once and I just never rehabbed it properly. And that rehab could have been, you know, maybe I strengthened it, but actually when I do some sensation testing, it's a little bit numb or tingly. And so actually, while I rehab the uh, strength of the muscle, I didn't rehab the sensation in the muscle. Or maybe actually I find out that this is an older person who drinks uh, quite a lot of alcohol. And so suddenly 
the pain in your shoulder might actually be referred pain from a bigger organ like the liver or something like that, where it's uh, caused the tissues to kind of tense up. And that's why you're seeing that restricted range. Or maybe it's uh, maybe you fractured your left hip uh, several years ago. And actually, we can do all the shoulder, the shoulder work that we want. But actually, the reason the shoulder is not functioning so well is because uh, there's there's some issues in the hip that's actually causing um, again either more tissue to be dragged or neurologically there's a lot of reflexes when I walk so when my right arm swings forward my left hip swings forward my left hip swings forward and my brain gets danger signals immediately it will also be a bit more hesitant to move the right shoulder so again we'll ask you know a ton of questions of just uh, what kind of injuries do you have struggles struggles or difficulties with things like attention focus emotional regulation uh, medications illnesses that you've had um, just a like a big list of things and we never usually expect that we're going to get everything um, I, I think the craziest one again a shoulder thing I had a client I worked an entire 90 minute session way back uh, years ago um, to try and open up his shoulder and at about the 80 minute mark he turned to me and said oh do you think this might have anything to do with uh, the car crash I was in uh, 12 years ago so what do you mean car crash he's like well yeah so I had a car crash and I basically went through the windshield and landed on the shoulder and I had major reconstructive surgery, and there's loads of metal plates in there now. Would that have anything to do with why it doesn't move? And I go, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, <laughs> you didn't think to mention that sooner? Okay, cool. Yeah, let's uh, taking that into account. Let's let's try a different approach. But. Um, but yeah, everything can matter. So we want to know history first. And then based on that as well, usually when people are signing up to do that face-to-face -face work with us, we kind of insist that before we do the training, you know, the good stuff they want to get into, uh, we also want to do a full assessment. And that's going to be, uh, from the nervous system point of view, it's kind of everything from, uh, first of all, can all your joints move? to can, do you have feeling in, in all of them? And is that feeling the same from one side to the other side? Uh, then we'll look at, uh, as I said, coordination. So is everything coordinated well? Are you balanced well? Are you breathing well? Uh, can you see well? Because again, uh, with, with eye strain, with even the muscles around your eyes, if you're not able to look in certain directions, uh, or hold your gaze in certain positions. There's a lot of stuff that can tell us. So, yeah, we kind of go through everything we possibly can. And then after that, we try to make whatever picture we've built up, try and go, all right, how does it relate to the, the actual problem they want to solve? And so, you know, usually people will have a... a very specific end goal with us. We don't, we don't get so many people that are just like, yeah, I just want things to be better. It's usually, I can't like, I can't chew stuff on the left side of my mouth and it really annoys me. I want to be able to do that. My thumb clicks every time I do this and, uh, I, that really annoys me. I want it to stop or I'm not able to pick up my kids and I feel guilty as a parent. So I just want to be able to do that. Um, we take that specific goal and go, all right, well, based on all of this, where are we going to start? Um, and then we'll write a program. They've got an app that they can sign into. 
uh, and similar to, I imagine, a lot of online trainers will have. Just you'll have your programmed exercises. How it looks will depend, again, on you. So some people really love having a different workout every single day, so we schedule lots of variety. Some people is like, I only want to spend 10 minutes doing this, and I don't ever want to have to look at my phone again, so just give me the same thing every day. Uh, pretty much like that. And then once a month or so, we'll we'll relook and just check in and make sure everything is going in the right direction and change what we need to change up. So neurology seems to me is kind of picked up in its um, popularity, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, in terms of uh, or um, in how it relates to physical fitness. Because mind-muscle connection now has become a very kind of um, ubiquitous buzzword, um, I guess you can say. Um, it's, it's, it's used now more than ever than I've ever, I can remember. Um, now, I, I don't say that to be you know, disparaging of it. I, I believe in it. I believe in the power of the brain. You know, these you know, three, you know, three pounds of fatty tissue between your ears here, they're, it's very powerful and can influence an awful lot. Now, you know, your, your own business here emphasizes neuro. So in other words, you are tapping, kind of hacking the brain in a way to try to bring it in line with, it, with the physicality of the body as well here. So you're trying to make a, uh, uh, a relation. I'm, I know I'm putting words in your mouth here, but yeah, you're, trying yeah. to, you're trying to establish a connection here between, you know, the brain and the body and how the two work in concert with one another here. Do you feel like... Um, much of fitness these days is just an emphasis on like maybe just physical culture and not much else. Yeah, uh, well, oh man, I love this question. Cause I just, it's made me have like 10 different things I wanted to talk about because <laughs> first of all, yes, it's definitely true that, uh, you know, it's become, it's, it has become this buzzword because it's, it's starting to show up everywhere. And, you know, even, now, when I say I'm a neuro neuro trainer or neuro coach or whatever, uh, straight away someone will be, uh, oh yeah, neuroplast. They'll know a, they'll have a term. They'll say neuroplasticity or rewiring the brain or, or something like. They'll have something and they don't know what it means, but they they're like, oh cool, yeah, I I think I get what's what's going on. And part of that is just because neuroscience is a very just neuroscience on its own is quite a new field and for a very long time we had no idea about any of it really like the first world war was the one of the biggest jumps that neuroscience had before that it was just like psychology and people kind of making guesses and then unfortunately a lot of people got shot through the head with bullets that weren't big enough to kill them and so now we have all these all these survivors suddenly come back and you're like oh wow this person's different from how they were before i wonder if we figured out what part of the brain um was is now missing or damaged we'd be able to figure out about you know a bit about how the brain works and that's pretty much the big extent of neuroscience for most of the 20th century was just like, let's take people when they're dead and have a look and uh, see if we can figure out what went on. And that's useful up to a point, but there's a lot of blunders that can be made through that in the same way as if you, if you only were able to assess the body by looking at a corpse, 
you're not necessarily going to get all the facts. And, you know, one of the biggest, one of the most important brain regions, uh, part of your brain called the cerebellum, it lives right at the back of your head, kind of like the size of both of my fists here stuck together. And scientists for the longest time were just like, yeah, we don't really think it does anything. Like we've kind of figured out uh, what the rest of the brain does. And this, it looks different and we just think it doesn't do anything. Now we're estimating that it's about 80% of all of the neurons in the brain live there. And uh, its functions include like coordinated, like, precise and coordinated move, movement as well as smoothness of thought. So your ability to think clearly as well as move uh, clearly is all coordinated from there. And we just didn't know because we didn't have any equipment that could measure it. So that's kind of the reason it's all becoming a bit of a fad now is that we finally got enough research in different fields for people to be able to start crossing it over. And it's in the last 20 or 30 years or so that that's being possible. Uh, but then with the second part of that question was kind of uh, about fitness groups and uh, 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 trying to remember because I went off on such a tangent there. But like, well, was I, was it just kind of, I was just kind of asking you. So like, because, you know, a lot of fitness is just what you see, you know, you have and then and what you see and now how it pertains to fitness is heavily influenced by things like social media, Instagram and Facebook. And you see um, just video after video after video um, and the algorithm, you know, you pick one, one, you follow one person who's like mm -hmm. a fitness, who's like an internet fitness sensation. It has like 13 million followers or whatever. And the algorithm says, Oh, so you like that. How about follow this person? How about follow this person? How about follow this person? And then soon you're following all these people here and you see a lot of the same thing. You see them just, yeah. their, you see them showing their bodies, showing them doing different things. And I'm just like, you know, that's really great and everything. But if there's no instruction behind it, if you're not explaining what you're doing, I don't learn anything just by watching you do cool shit. You know, that's really yeah. cool. That That's impressive, you know, and kudos to you. But I mean, if, if it's just meant to be like a, a blog, uh, a diary of an internet diary of your workouts, okay, fine. You know, be, be honest about it at least. So at least I know what I'm getting here, but you know, you can't call someone an influencer. I don't think if they're not actually teaching you anything, just watching you do stuff doesn't teach me anything. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent now. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my greater, my greater point was that everything or a lot of things about what you see about fitness is just what's on the surface here. You see the muscles, you see, mm -hmm. the you see the striations uh, in the muscles. You see, you know, you, it's just what you see, you know, you in the, either, you either like it or you don't like it, but we're talking about things that you don't see and how they play such a big role in the fitness game and how they need the attention that they deserve because it's just that important. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess that's the bit that like, that's what got me into it. And that's what I love looking for is like, let's find the, the bits underneath because with, with stuff like Instagram, it's basically an extension of what, you know, the movie stars have been doing for years where you see them in, you know, super ripped. And like, how did you get like that? And it's like, oh, I did again, I did 4,000 pushups at 6am every morning. It's like, all right, let me work that out because the 2000 press ups example, I said that because that's something somebody told me I couldn't do once and I tried. 
And well, I, I will tell you. I will tell you. I'm going to jump in. I will tell you though. I you can do at least a thousand. I did a thousand a couple years ago. I did a thousand just as a challenge. I did a thousand push-ups in one morning. It took me three hours and nineteen minutes to get it through them all. But yeah. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what what I was working at was, uh, you know, over twenty four hours. You still have to do two every minute or something like that. Like it, that's the slowest you can possibly go is two every single minute or a push up every thirty seconds. And as you have to stay awake for twenty four hours to to have like that low gradient of intensity. I, the numbers might be a bit wrong, but uh, but yeah, that's that is one of those things. And it's like, well, really, you do four thousand push ups every day. I don't know, and it's always that thing they say, it's push-ups and chicken, raw, like, white, not raw chicken, just, like, chicken breast on its own, and they just eat loads of that, do all the push-ups, and they do nothing else, and you're like, ah, it's not really true, though, is it? And I feel like the same with Instagram, those influencers are, like, the extension of what, we're all guilty of it, we all did it anyway, you know, we didn't post, I, we all posted on Facebook and Instagram, the best stuff about our life. And then these influencers are doing the exact same thing. It's like, Hey, look at this. Look, this is, this is my body right now. The time I decided to take the photo and decided to, to do this. I haven't shown you all of the stuff that I normally do. My experience of it is always in sports where that like attitude where you see somebody running and it turns out in gymnastics, people would do their floor routine and they had, uh, you know, broken their leg at the start of the routine and they continued the routine and people were like, man, yeah, that's the kind of attitude that you need to have if you want to be successful. And it's like, no, 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 that's a terrible attitude to have. That's what that guy did on the day of the competition. That was his mindset. If he broke his leg at the start of his training session, he wouldn't continue to train because he's just broken his leg and he needs to now stop and recover. And people see the day of the competition as that's the mindset of this guy all the time. He's just never going to stop. He's never, he's like, no, no, no. He trains for that for like one day or, you know, you go to the Olympics, you're there for a week. You've probably competed for three days and hell yeah, you're going to, if there's a chance of you getting a medal, you're going to sacrifice all of your health way down to the bottom, let it plummet. And then you're going to recover. And that's that person's full-time job to, to be doing that. If you film them every single day, there's no way that they're 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 doing that. They're doing it much more sensibly. And all of the people I've ever met that you know, the ones that ended up being Olympians or uh, you know professional footballers, things like that, they're all super interested in the small things. Like that's that's the thing is like they see everyone else around them. They're in direct competition with them. They're never like, oh, I need to do four thousand more push-ups tomorrow. It's more like I need to figure out what's the like. What are the lowest hanging fruit? These these small things that I need to fix uh, because they're going to hold me back the most. It's not the the super high level thing that they're worried about. It's always you know something's wrong with my basics. I need to fix those those basics to be better. Right. Well, I mean, when you get to be that level anyway, um, you're already at such a high degree of performance that you can't. There isn't any large room for improvement anyway. I mean, mm. I don't feel, I don't feel like, I mean, because if you're an Olympic level athlete, well, you're already in better shape than 90, 
98, 99% of people on the planet to start with. So you can't, you can't go for like a 10% improvement. That's just not in the cards physically. Yeah. You're, you're looking for like a point zero zero one or 2% of a difference to really take you over that edge and edge out all the other um, Olympic athletes in your category, in your field. So, I mean, so they're kind of bound by that too. too. It's not like a regular person who has such a wide range of improvement available to them because they are not an Olympic athlete. Yeah. And then for that person, I guess the thing is now you've got to decide which way you want to go. Like if you're already the world champion boxer, you're probably just going to stick to boxing. Like that's so it's the, the roadmap for how you're going to improve is, is very well laid out, but if you're just like, I want to improve my fitness, I want to just be a bit better. Well, in theory, you could do anything, and as long as you're doing something where you're physically up and moving, that's gonna that's gonna get you to a certain level. And then it's gonna be, well, which one did I pick? Did I pick like spinning or or like the stationary bike? Well, maybe actually, then if I want to take it any further, I'll go into cycling. Whereas if you were into jump rope or something like that, then actually, well, actually, that's what all the boxers train. So maybe I'll go go that way. Um, and yeah, it's difficult to, I guess there's also a lot of, as well as all the influencers that just kind of don't really have the substance on Instagram, everyone also, because we're all running businesses, we're trying to sell stuff to you. So we're trying to tell you, this is the only way you should be training and, and every, everything else is complete rubbish. It doesn't work. Uh, we're the only ones who have the right answer. And that becomes quite confusing as well. Cause it's like, well, really you mean i can't do i can't do crossfit because i'm gonna end up injured and it's like mm, not really but we're good everyone's telling you that because they're not the crossfit coach and the crossfit coach is telling you that uh doing team sports when you're older is a terrible idea because of the tbi risk and stuff like that and uh yeah i don't know i find social media in general is a bit of a toxic place for that very reason like it's just the fighting and then the that's probably why those influencers do so well is that they're just kind of, yep, here I am. <laughs> right. I, well, I think, I mean, I don't want to talk about social media too much, but I think it is what you make of it. I think if you go on there with negative intentions or not even necessarily negative intentions, but you just put stuff on there that has no real substance to it. And you're just there to be another player in that game then I think it just kind of, it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy and it becomes more of the same, more of the same, you know, because you see one person doing that. And like I said, they got 20 million followers. It's like, well, damn, is that how you win at this game? Okay. Well, I guess that's where I'm going. And then it just kind of feeds on itself, feeds on itself too. But um, going back to the original, the, uh, well, the original point and the original question was, I think I feel like the fitness industry is kind of slowly making a turn around the corner in the sense that it's moving a little bit away from just the, the physical culture of it, the looks of things. And we're now as our understanding of fitness and what fitness really means and how it really applies to people, regardless of age, that it's now becoming more about, like you said, the neurology of fitness, the, uh, the psychology of fitness, and the real world application of it. So it's not about the bikini um, 
the bikini model, the bikini, you know, the co competitions, bikini yeah. suit competitions, the swimsuit competitions, or the bodybuilding competitions. Those are pageants. Um, these fitness means more than that, and it should mean more than that. It should be like uh, one of the greatest examples I heard of a, of a, a good solid uh, baseline for fitness is like if I'm 80 years old and I can still carry my luggage across an airport without getting winded, then I am fit. And then I am fit. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care, you know, if I, you know, if I don't look like Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the fact that I can do that at my age and I don't need to be riding in a cart, then I, I won. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is like, can you, like you can train for aesthetics if you want, but then also if aesthetics is just the end goal and that actually compromises the way that you move, then it's, you know, are you going to be the good looking 80 year old or the 80 year old who can still move around and actually uh, do all the things that you want to do. And I do agree. I think people are starting to value that side of it a lot more now than, than it used to be. Yeah. I think the, uh, the market of fitness is kind of demanding it do so too, because like I said earlier, um, a large pool of people out there that are coming around to fitness are older people. And so their priorities are different. And so they're commanding more and more of a space. And I think they're commanding more consideration for things that are more, as you might say, down to earth and less about aesthetics and more about just functional uh, utility. And fun, of course. You know, everyone wants to have fun. You should have fun with this too. Yeah. If you're not having fun, if you're not having fun, then you need to do something else because you're doing something wrong. It shouldn't feel like a chore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always got told the guy I learned all this stuff, uh, Doctor Eric Cobb of uh, Z Health Education. Um, he always had the mantra of like, "What's the point in getting?" Like, what's the point in a fitness regime to live longer if that's just eating up hours of your life that you hate? Like, if you have to do an hour every day of just torture and agony, uh, do you really want to be extending that further and further? Uh, actually, you should be, you know, the, the options are there to do movement that you enjoy and exercise that you enjoy. So why wouldn't you, uh, why wouldn't you be choosing that? Right. So you said earlier, you kind of gave me a hint of something you'd actually want from your from your clientele and your business. You'd actually want people to come to you who haven't who aren't like riddled with injuries and trauma. And they're actually just there because they want to just expand their idea of, of fitness and health. So maybe you can kind of um, talk a little bit more about that. Your ideal your ideal situation would be. Yeah, so it's not so much my ideal situation because actually the the clients that I do have and that I do get, those are the people I enjoy working with. But part of it is just that idea of awareness of things, uh, the kinds of things that we do. You know, if I could pinpoint the, the things that we do that a lot of fitness uh, trainers and and that – maybe don't touch on so much that would be the uh kind of breath training aspect the vestibular balance training which some people do do balance training but the vestibular component that involves a lot of uh head movements uh with 
along with your eye movement and stuff like that, as well as the vision training. Those are three three aspects, among others, but they're kind of the big three that we do a lot of that I, from all the stuff that I've seen in the clients that I work with, but also in, you know, the athletes that I've worked with, the circus artists that I've worked with, if people were just aware that that was a thing, uh, I think a lot fewer people would have to drop out of the kind of sports and physical endeavors that they really love. So very often I see actually the reason somebody isn't physically able to run up to their kind of trampoline and do a somersault is nothing to do with their body. Their body's perfectly capable, but actually it's something to do with their inner ear. And if the inner ear gets stimulated too much and it goes too fast and they get nauseated, they, they get kind of, they feel super ill. Um, and it's, they just assume, Oh, I'm just somebody who doesn't like spinning. And it's like, well, actually, no, that can probably be worked on. There's probably stuff that we can do that, that makes that a little bit better. And, in my mind, the best way to make that more accessible is to have more people doing uh, fitness training where that's not even uh, considered a rehab exercise. That's, you know, vestibular training, vision training, breath training, balance training, all of those kind of, all of those kind of things are just considered normal. And that's just something that everybody does. And, you know, some fitness trainers do include a lot of that stuff, but uh, I see a lot of p potential for more of it. So that's kind of where I was going when I was saying, I'd love to have people who just go, ah, oh, I just want to do a different kind of uh, kind of workout program that probably looks similar to what a lot of other people are doing. But at the same time, I have all these weird different uh, breathing patterns and breath holds and you know there's a lot of stuff where you know combinations of move my body keep my head still uh move my head keep my body still uh have my eyes move to different places uh be able to judge you know different depths of things um they're all things that happen in real life we're all doing that you know when you're walking to cross the road one of the really important things is your brain figures out how far is this likely to be uh so it kind of preps all the muscles in your neck, make sure they got enough energy to look left and right um, for a long enough time. Uh, same on a football field, you know, it might not be that your your calves are, are injured. It might actually just be that your inner ear is so tired of, of looking left and right that it gives you pain somewhere to stop you doing that so that you move a bit slower and, uh, that's the reason you've had to drop out. And so I feel like if we get more people just doing, ah, you know, I can do my lunges, I can do my box jumps and press ups and pull ups and whatever it is I want to do. But also, uh, it might be really important to, to do these extra types of exercises. Then I feel like you cover the bases for more people. So, uh, you know, if everyone was training like that, we might have fewer people dropping out of sports and just assuming, oh, I just hit my peak and I was never going to get any better than that. Uh, I hope that makes sense. That's So it's not kind of like I wish I had different clients. It's more like I wish this was just more accepted as a, as a type of training, whether, whether or not it's neuro training as, as its whole thing. But maybe, you know, in football training, you would go, oh, let's actually look at your breathing 
And uh, that's a part of being a good footballer. And let's uh, look at vision training for a gymnast, even though half the time you're spinning, you can't see where you are. But actually, maybe it's still important too to have your eyes working well so that uh, you can react quicker to things and your brain is going to give you less pain um or you know your muscles are going to be better coordinated because you can actually process the information as it comes in do you think that day will come where it becomes more comprehensive where you got you you have the traditional stuff mixed with the not so traditional things i think so i think when i first got into this stuff I was surprised it was even a thing and uh, anyone I told anyone I spoke to, it was just like, I've never heard of any of this. Now, as I said, you know, people are familiar with neuroscience and the brain. Uh, but also I'm starting to see, you know, you watch the CrossFit games and Annie Thoris daughter is sitting there doing vision exercises and, you know, not weightlifting at the same time, but specifically, you know, doing, uh, there's, there's photos of her doing, specific vision training drills so you're seeing it at the higher levels um i get a little more often so less so with the balance and breathing but with vision training if i work with like footballers basketball players the sports where the professional level has a bit more money it's already more likely that i'm going to see people familiar with that kind of training because uh, at the top levels, all of those players are now doing vision training specifically. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's slowly getting there, um, and it'll be too slow for my liking. It'll be like by the time it's it's fully in, I'll have found something else where I'm like, oh, now everyone needs to do this. Uh, but that's just how it goes. <laughs> all right, James. Well, as we start to wind down here. Um... I have a question I ask every person at the end of my uh, podcast, and that is if you could summarize one thing or you could mention one thing that you want people to leave from this podcast interview above anything else, if they remember nothing else, if you want them to remember this one thing, what would it be? I would say the one thing that would be good for people to no, from this podcast, even though we didn't talk so much about it, your lungs are more important than you think. <laughs> so uh, if if um, pretty much your lungs are how you get oxygen and fuel into your body, um, if you were to just pick one thing to look at and train a little bit more, not in a different way from everything that you do, but uh, just alongside everything that you do is train how you breathe. Don't even worry about, you know, getting the right type of breath patterns. Uh, just be able, you know, if you do lunges, well, you want to do lunges and be able to do some lunges while you're holding your breath, or you want to breathe all the way out and be able to do those lunges, or you want to, uh, you know, breathe in as slowly as possible. Keep doing those lunges, like literally play with it and just be competent breathing in as many different uh, ways as you can. Um, the reason I say that rather than summarizing the stuff that I, I've already talked about, if there's one thing that we know affects the entire brain uh, pretty strongly, it's uh, 
your lung capacity and your ability to breathe uh, and breathe calmly and appropriately in the right circumstances. So as your body gets more stressed and moves around more, if you can control how you breathe, uh, you will see like the benefits are pretty astounding. And so, yeah, if you just want a free thing to take home and like play around with, uh, you don't even need to learn too much about the brain. Just know that, you know, be able to breathe in as many different ways, fast, slow, holding, whatever. Um, and just apply that to all the types of movement that you, that you normally do. And you should start to see some good results. So not quite a summary, but I hope that's right. <laughs> useful. So, so, so was, that, was that another way of saying practice meditation and cardio? <laughs> meditation and cardio can also work. Yeah. So, um, I guess the, with meditation, the idea of focusing on the breath is to, is to try to ignore all the other things. But, uh, I would say it goes even further than that is, uh, be perfect. Like you want to train all the different breathing patterns that there are because sometimes you're not going to be able to control them. So meditation and cardio is going to be really, really good because, the calmer you can keep yourself, then the more your brain's, the more oxygen you get to your brain to the more appropriate areas. But then sometimes you're just not going to be camp and you're going to be breathing through your chest. You don't want that to happen the first time in your competition or in your whatever it is that you're doing. So actually, if you do that in your practice and, you know, have a small chunk of time where you practice uh, a little bit of kind of hyperventilation at the same time, then uh, your brain's like, oh yeah, I've done this before. It's not so, it's not so scary. It's not what you maybe want to do all the time. You probably want to be calmer most of the time, but uh, I would say train all of the options uh, so that nothing is unfamiliar to you. All right. Sounds good. We'll end it there, man. James, thanks so much for showing up. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it too. I mean, because this stuff is more and more, um, especially things having to do with things like uh, neurology and how it applies to exercise. And um, this stuff is just more and more fascinating to me. And I, I really like the fact that more more people are embracing it because it's proving to be more and more uh, valid. Yeah. You know, just just by, by way of, you know, like we said, research where you had a control group and you had another group that was using it or just by people relating their own anecdotal evidence. It's like, uh, here, I tried this. This made a 10x difference in my own fitness, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah no. I really I really appreciate the conversation and the information. Man. Oh, cheers, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, James McCambridge. He is coming to us again from London. He is part of Rewired Neural Performance Therapy. And um, thanks again for the conversation. Um, I will link contact points for uh, James uh, to his social media and website if he has one where you can get a hold of him, uh, especially if you're in the UK and you're more accessible to him and you're listening to this. I would seek him out You know, if you have things you want um, to work on. Um, or just you just want to try it out and see what it has to offer, man. So I would do it. I mean, if you're there, man. So, um, all right. And uh, for myself here too, don't forget, I'm also offering courses online and you can check them out. I'll put that link in there too, as well as all my social media. 
And again, my name is Sean, Renaissance Fitness Personal Training. And thanks again, everyone. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, James. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps. And I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.